0: It is your Tuesday Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Happy to be back for another day and a good show coming up here. Andrew Kramer from the Star Tribune will join me here in just a little bit to talk Vikings. It's training camp time. It doesn't feel like it is, but it it really is. They they uh, All the veterans are supposed to report by today on the field tomorrow. First padded practice just a few days from now. So Andrew and I will talk about a bunch of stuff having to do with that team. Daniil Hunter's situation, Jordan Addison's situation, positional battles, things like that. Um, so st- stick around for some Vikings talk here in just a few minutes. First, though, what did I miss? You know, uh, Monday's Twins game was one of those where I was following it like I always would, but uh, also with some selfish intent because Monday I wrote about how the Twins had been in two areas since the All Star break, had been really uh, benefiting from kind of a progression to the mean. In one case, kind of an over over overcompensation. They were they were getting maybe some some really good fortune. Um, but I wrote about two things. One, how how bad they had been for basically the last year and a half in one run games. A year ago, I believe they were twenty and twenty eight in one run games. First half or before the All-Star break this year, they were 9 and 15 in one-run games. Now I was trying to write about how part of the success they've been having in the post-All-Star break when they'd been 8 and 2 going into yesterday was that they had been excelling in one-run games. They were 4 and 1 in one-run games. So they're playing the Mariners on Monday and they're winning 2 to 1 going into the ninth inning. I'm thinking, great. Um, looks like another one-run win for the Twins. Looks like it's going to prove my point. Um, about these one-run wins, because I'd already written about that, and then it's gonna go into the print edition of the Tuesday paper. Um, then Griffin Jacks gives up a two-out, two-run home run in the top of the ninth. They're down 3-2, and I'm like, oh great, now I've just, not like I've jinxed them. I don't believe, like, in jinxing, and, you know, I'm not, my, what I write has (laughs) absolutely no influence over what happens, but it just doesn't look good when you've written about something, and then hours later, the opposite happens. It's you know it, it happens a lot. It happens because once you do write about something or talk about something, you have kind of pointed out some trend that is probably likely to change. That's the law of averages in effect, right? But so they're down three two. I'm like, oh great! Like I, the thing I wrote, do I need to change this a little bit for the print edition? Um, things like that. So I'm following along. The one out in the ninth, I'm like, oh, this is this is not good. It's o two on. Uh, I think it was o two on Alex Kirilov, and he he hits a double. And then Kepler ties the game with a double. I'm like, okay, okay, um, <clears throat> maybe what I wrote is not so so much uh, out of uh, out of touch anymore. And then of course they go on to win in the tenth, four to three, and that not only helped my other point. So now they're five and one, by the way, in one run games since the All Star break, nine and two overall. Um, their last three, three wins have been one run wins, including two straight walk off wins in extra innings, both of which required ninth inning comebacks, by the way. Um, the other point that was made was before the break, I believe their batting average on balls in play was 291, which is okay, but it was below league average, and they've been hitting the ball relatively hard relative to league average. I think they were like top ten and, hard hit percentage top 5 in line drive percentage now they were number 1 in pull percentage but number of balls hit to the pull side which means they're still trying to pull the ball too much in the first half of the year but second half of the year <clears throat> I do think they've been using all fields a little bit more but more to the point they've been having an extraordinary amount of their contact fall in for hits they before that game they they had been hitting 352 Uh, on balls put in play they had not been striking out any less in the second half of the season in fact they've been striking out more they've been striking out like 12 times a game in the uh, post all-star break uh, first 11 games of the post break now they've been striking out about 10 times a game before that so they're not putting the ball in play anymore in fact they're putting it in play less but when they are putting it in play now it is falling in more for hits and that also stayed true on uh, on Monday night, I think they were eight for twenty-one on balls they put in play, which is you know, a little bit short of four hundred. So they're up to three fifty-four on balls put in play now. Now that piece of it is not probably sustainable. They're not going to hit three fifty something on balls put in play for the rest of the year. So that concerns me a little bit about this offensive uptick that some of these hard hit balls that are falling for hits right now will become outs at some point. They'll kind of drift back down more towards three hundred on balls put in play, but. For now, they are they are scoring much more. They're getting to that Magic 4 number a lot more. And they did that last night. It took them a while to get there. They had, had to rally and then get the extra innings. But they did get to that Magic 4 number. Win again. Now they're four games up on Cleveland in the American League Central. And more important than any of that, everything that I wrote yesterday was not only not rendered obsolete, it was proven even further by what happened Monday. And I do love when that happens. MGM Wine and Spirits is the choice for savings, service, and a great selection of spirits, pre-mixed cocktails, wines, and of course, ice cold beers and hard seltzers. With over 30 locations throughout the Twin Cities and beyond, there's an MGM near you. Head to MGMWineAndSpirits.com to find a convenient location in your area. Get social. Follow MGM on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest news and trends. Make great moments with MGM Wine & Spirits, your locally owned and operated choice for over 50 years. Save time, save money. Shop MGM. I've got Andrew Kramer with me here today because we need to talk Vikings. Training camp... Rookies reported over the weekend. Veterans report Tuesday, um, and Andrew they're on the field for the first time Wednesday. I don't know if it's this is you tell me this isn't any earlier than usual. So I'm going to believe you. It just feels like a few days earlier, but maybe that's just the way that the calendar breaks. But h- however it is, th- it is time to uh, to break the uh, to break up this off season. It is now it is now go time for the Vikings. Yeah, July 25th is always known <laughs> as uh, football season, right? <laughs> football season. That's good. <laughs> and they're going to have to be careful this week too, because it's going to be hot out there. They're going to want to uh, not do probably too much out there because they, they don't want to overexert these guys right away in the hundred degree heat that we're supposed to have on uh, on Wednesday and Thursday. But uh, you know, that, I think it'll be I think it'll be okay. It feels like it'll be all right. But there's a lot of storylines going into it. And Andrew, I got to pick your brain on the very first one. Obviously, Daniel Hunter. We we don't know. If he's going to show up for camp, what what the fallout might be if he doesn't, if he's going to be on this roster long term, he definitely wants a new contract and he probably deserves something different. But is that going to be with the Vikings? And and, and how do, how does this going to play out? Yeah, it's very fascinating because the thing to know,
1: and, and we've said this over and over, and if you pay attention to the NFL, you know this, but. Um, the NFL's recent collective bargaining agreement a few years ago eliminated the optional part of training camp fines for holding out. That means in the past, a guy could get slapped with, you know, 10, dollars dollars $30,000 a day, however much it was under the old CBA. Now it's $50,000 a day mandatory. And in the past, if they came to a new deal, if the Vikings said, all right, Daniel, after a week of you holding out, we'll pay you part of that new deal could be, we'll waive all those training camp fines. So the player could kind of gamble and be like, hey, maybe I won't have to pay all this money and all these fines. That's not the case anymore. Uh, whatever Daniil, um, however many days he misses, again, $50,000 a day, that's going to come out of his money, his pocket, and whatever money he gets from whatever team, if that's the Vikings or somebody else. And if he's looking around the league, at, boy, what should I do? If his agent's looking around the league, how are other people playing this? Uh, Chris Jones with the Kansas City Chiefs is officially a holdout. Um, he was the big-time pass-rushing defensive tackle on the inside of that line. He's very, very good and worth a lot of money, and the Chiefs just haven't paid him that yet. And he decided not to show up. And I saw Joel Corey, a former NFL agent who works for CBS Sports, opine on social media and just saying, I wonder how long he's going to do that because this, this whole the, – the collective bargaining agreement, the structure of the league is not set up – for players to do this anymore owners have whittled it out essentially and this guy's saying you know what i don't care yeah um, that that's fascinating and i do wonder if daniel will follow suit just to send a message early he sent a message by missing mandatory mini camp last month for the first time in his career as a viking he's been here now this is his ninth season eighth or ninth yeah season drafted in
0: 2015 so yeah this will be his ninth season
1: and so this is the first time he's taken it this far. His contract has been an issue for a long time. They've fixed it with these one-year kind of patchwork deals. I presume the Vikings have tried to do that this time around, and Daniil is really digging his heels in and not um, not taking that kind of a deal at this point. This is a guy that's been wanting to be paid top-of-market pass rusher right. money for a while. Really, since his leverage hit the tank with the neck injury, he's wanted... He's wanted to rip up that deal he signed in 2017 or 18 or whatever it was and redo it. And the Vikings have just not done it. And now this is the regime that did not draft him. Quase yeah. Dofa Mensa did not pay him that initial money in 2018. Uh, and nor did Say redo the deal in 2021 that got him back in Minnesota. So uh, they haven't done much with him, this new regime. And Daniil... I don't know if he's got a lot of faith that they will do much with him, or if he's going to try and force continue to try and force a trade. But they've shopped him; they've shopped him now for uh, eighteen months, it feels like, and nothing has moved quite yet. So it, it is the top storyline and quite a fascinating situation right now.
0: And and it's interesting because I think Hunter is maybe overestimating his worth by like uh, like a half measure. Like I think he's very good, but I don't think he's He's not this guy who I think we've talked about on Access Vikings before, like Ben Gessling, our, our coworker, has basically said. Like he was on a a Hall of Fame trajectory seemingly for a while, just with how good he was, how young, and just like just the athleticism, things like that. Then the injuries took a toll. He was good last year, but I, I don't get the sense that within the building they think he's like the greatest of all time or like top three that he needs to be paid top of market. So there's this gap between I think how he values himself and how the Vikings value him which shows up in in probably this stalemate but the the flip side of that coin is man if they don't do something with him and get him in here for 2023 who in the world is going to rush the passer like they he his leverage is that they essentially need him this year cuz i can't imagine how else they are going to function as a defense because they've already gotten rid of Zadarius Smith I don't know how they function as a defense without him in 2023. So that's the fascinating part is like, I think he's overestimating his value, but he has a certain amount of value to the Vikings right now. Yeah. Going back to to his relationship with the current
1: regime, when Quayse Dofomenza was hired in January of 2022.
0: Yeah.
1: um, One of the first players he talked to that February was Daniil, knowing that Daniil was not happy with his deal um, they ended up paying him the $18 million roster bonus a couple months later in lieu of a trade or a new deal, they couldn't do either of those things with him. But we said at the time that this is the kind of guy you want to build around. This is yeah. the kind of player you want to keep. Um, of course. And I'd, I'd asked him that March in his first press conference after free agency, after his first free agency, uh, a year and a half ago, um, is, are you still trying to work on a long-term deal with Daniel? And, and he said, absolutely. Um, so that was the vision then, and we've had now a whole season of the Vikings being an awful defense with Daniil on the field, Daniil not being the greatest fit for Ed Donatel's 3-4 system. They're still in a 3-4 system right. with Brian Flores, however different, though, because this defense purportedly, according to the the players, is going to be one that sets the defensive line loose a little bit more. They're going to sure. be more attacking maybe more one gap scheme. I'm not sure the the technicalities of it, but this might maybe fit Daniil better. And I imagine Brian Flores really wants him, considering what you just said, that there's no one else on the roster. So I don't know what they do if they move him. Daniil's leverage is, hey, I'm just going to sit out, at least through the off-season program, and y'all can see what you got without me, and maybe that'll change your mind. Um, He could do that again, this training camp. Because behind him, it was DJ Wanham. I talked to DJ Uh, this spring about getting all of Daniel's reps and DJ feels like, you know, entering a contract year that he can be a good fit for this system, but he's nowhere near the caliber of player that Daniel Hunter is. And so they would absolutely suffer in a defense that needs as many blue chip players or guys who are capable of playing at that level as possible. Uh, That's, that is the leverage play that Daniel has, but we've said it time and time again, the NFL is set up. The owners have set it up. To where no matter who you are as a player, if you're Saquon Barkley or Josh Jacobs or whoever at the top of your game, or Chris Jones in Kansas City, the the league has stripped you of your leverage quite a bit in these situations.
0: Yeah, and that's that's fascinating. And who? I mean, you mentioned Wanham, but like who are? What's the, even the rest of the edge rusher depth chart? Like if they, I, I can't even really think of like who would take all those snaps since they've already gotten like a, like we've said, traded Zadarius Smith away and kind of created some some cap room that way.
1: Yeah, Andre Carter is a guy out of Army, an undrafted free agent that they brought in. And then Luigi Villane is actually one of the undrafted guys from last year that has been taking some second team reps uh when Daniel wasn't there throughout the offseason program. So they've got some unproven guys. Um, and it's Marcus Davenport who they brought over from the right. Saints. That's obviously the number one starter without Daniel, but they need they really need Daniel and Davenport to kind of make that pecking order make sense. Otherwise, this is just a completely rebuilding defense, and you've already taken the stars like Eric Hendricks, Dalvin Tomlinson walked uh, for more money in Cleveland. Uh, you traded Zadarius Smith, as you mentioned. Patrick Peterson walked for more yeah. money in Pittsburgh. This this would be a complete teardown, as we keep saying, should they not stick to their guns with Daniil and say, you know what, Daniil, we're going to make you play out your contract here because uh, really otherwise you have no option.
0: Now, you know, we'll we'll move on from Daniel in a second here. Just I I don't really have like a gut instinct on a read of how this will get resolved. Do you have a do you have like a, a most likely outcome at this point? I don't. Um, you know, if I had to guess right now, I would guess that
1: Daniel Hunter shows up and they work out a patchwork one-year deal, one that maybe the Vikings budge on some of the incentives they're willing to give him for this upcoming year. And he bets on himself and it it continues to make him a free agent next year as he's already set up to be. Um, I, I could see him because right now he's due like $5 million. Yeah. That is, that's untenable. Like the Vikings know they got to pay him more than that. Daniil knows he's worth more than that. The question is where can they find that agreement in that compromise? And I think that compromise will eventually come because Look, it's $50,000 a day. Like you're eating so much money if you decide to sit out training camp. The alternative is Daniil shows up, does what Dalvin Cook did a couple of years ago, which is a hold in right where he shows up, does the walkthrough with his teammates, goes to meetings, hangs out. But then as soon as it's time to play real football, 11 on 11, he goes, "Ah, and I got to rest my body and make sure I'm right. Right. Because y'all haven't paid me. So right. Um, that's kind of where we're at right now with him, and and I wouldn't be shocked if it's a hold in that leads to an eventual patchwork deal that sends him on his merry way uh, next year.
0: Yeah, and that that feels possible. It's it. I just it's kind of the same thing with with Kirk Cousins, and you know, obviously Cousins is in a little bit of a different spot than than Daniel Hunter is, and, and Cousins has the has the one year left on on his on his deal. But with with Cousins, it it's felt like you know you don't want to get to a certain age and then have free agency hit And i just i do wonder if hunter is like ah you know like do i want to be going into into free agency in my 10th year like is that really how i want to go into it but to your point if he has a really good year in a brian flores system and, and feels like he's being paid adequately this year maybe there's maybe there's something to be said for that and he's still like a He's still a quote unquote, he's a younger ninth year player, right? He he was he came into the league relatively young. So he's he's not gonna be more than thirty going into his tenth year or something like that. So he he could still do that. But I just some of these guys have to wonder like, I got I, I need to get paid while I'm still relatively in my prime. you, you don't want to play too long into it and then just be, you know, one year deals for the rest of your life until you until you're cut.
1: Yeah, the problem is Daniil's already Yeah. 28. And in his prime, those injuries took out such a chunk of that prime. I mean, it took out age 26, 27 season. He's now 28. He's going to turn 29 in October. And yeah, there's a lot of younger pass rushers out there who are available. And maybe this is a situation too, where if we're talking about likely outcomes, I really can see it going multiple ways. And maybe they find a trade partner and then just sign some veteran pass rusher off the street.
0: But with with Daniil,
1: yeah, 29 this fall, and that will be the earliest he can hit free agency because they're certainly not going to cut him.
0: No. Well, it's going to be fascinating to see how that plays out. I think the biggest storyline on offense, Andrew, is Jordan Addison, um, you know, not just because he went 140 miles an hour at 3 a.m. in a Lamborghini last week in St. Paul, Um but because we don't know a whole lot about him, like it's not been a great four months or so for however long it's been, three months since the draft for him. He's not been healthy enough to participate in any of these like early camps. Now he did report to, he's reported to training camp and they're saying he's going to be, you know, ready and, and and good to go. But you know, there's there's still some element of mystery here. You cut Adam Thielen and this is purportedly the guy that's going to replace a lot of those snaps how do you see like how important is the, how important is the next month for Jordan Addison? Oh, it's it's incredibly important Um, because rookies
1: you hear it every year. They need to figure out how the NFL works. You know, not only do they need to figure out where they're living, how they're getting into the, the building, all these things, they need to figure out a new playbook, a new offense and how they fit in, how Kirk Cousins throws the ball, all these things. So, when they drafted Jordan Addison in the first round, one of the things Kevin O'Connell said in the draft room was this is a first or week one starter. Yeah. And in order for that to be the case, because KJ Osborne is still pretty good and pretty reliable uh, in order for that to be the case, uh, they need Jordan Addison to show in training camp that he's a difference maker. And the thing is too, he's one of the younger players in this draft. He turned 21 in January. Uh, it shows in his decision-making when he goes 140 yeah. miles an hour in a Lamborghini and he had a statement in which he apologized saying I made a mistake, used poor judgment. I recognize and own that I'm going to learn from this and not repeat the behavior. Uh, they would like him to not, because yeah. if he does, that could lead to some league, uh, involvement in terms of a suspension, but with police saying that the alcohol was not involved, and that he was apparently sober when doing this, I would presume that there's no NFL um, imposed punishment here. So now it's up to the Vikings to get him ready to play. And and this month is going to be huge for that. This guy uh, was obviously a difference maker at Pittsburgh, at USC. He can line up all over the field. Um, the, The team brought reporters in to kind of show highlights of him like, hey, this is why we drafted him. I mean, it's pretty obvious what this kid is capable of, but transitioning that to the NFL is a whole other game. We saw guys like Justin Jefferson, guys like Stefan Diggs have to wait a couple weeks in, in their rookie years to get on the field because yeah. coaches need to see so much to trust you. And so I, I wouldn't be shocked if Jordan Addison kind of stumbles out of the gate still here and we're looking at a week one where it's TJ Hawkinson, Josh Oliver, Jefferson, KJ Osborne as your kind of starting... You know, wide offense.
0: Yeah, no, I like think I think that's very possible, and it's just it's some it's some camp intrigue. We like camp intrigue. They, they liked what they saw from Naylor during some of the the off season too, right? He he made an impression on them as, as not obviously as like a day one starter, but as as someone who maybe emerged a little bit more and gives them a little bit more of of a different look of that of that type too.
1: Yeah, they've still got Jalen Rager too, Jalen Naylor. Um, they've got a couple Jalen's on there. Naylor's a the guy they yeah. talked up quite a bit this spring, I'm, right? It's all wide receivers always look good in the spring. That yeah. that's the thing fans have to know. It's <laughs> a good point. It's a passing league. And so you'll hear stuff like, oh, this defensive back was all over the field breaking stuff up, or oh, this wide receiver was all over the field. You'll never hear anything about running backs, about offensive linemen, defensive linemen, because they just can't play real football yet. Um, so with Naylor, you got to see that translate. I've seen it so many times. Like Amir Smith Marset was the winner of so many springs in Minnesota, and it just never happened. So with Naylor he's got the speed that's why they took him in the sixth round out of Michigan State uh, we just need to see if that continues
0: funny because I think I think it was 2003 we made a me and my friends always went on a, a baseball road trip every year and that year's trip was kind of out east we drove the whole way and we we were like in very we were like in a Cleveland and Pittsburgh and in Toronto we did a whole bunch of stops and what one thing we did in Cleveland we were out there in like late July as we went to Cleveland Browns training camp I think it was in like Berea Ohio and we were like watching Cleveland Browns training camp we became absolutely convinced that Dennis Northcutt was going to be like (laughs) the breakout performer (laughs) Just by watching him for like one day in camp, we're like, this guy is amazing. Like he is, he is a bona fide star in the making. Like I think I drafted him on my fantasy football team that year because I was so <laughs> convinced that he was just more than he was from one day of training camp. And he had a good, he had a good season. He caught like sixty passes, but he did not turn out to be the difference maker. So that is that is a good cautionary tale. Like Dennis Northcott looked like one of the ten best players in football for one day in training camp, and uh, he did not end up having the, the type of impact that we might have envisioned twenty years ago
1: i like that though you had boots on the ground and training camp we and did. you were like fantasy draft came and you're like i got yep. i got this gotta guy. have I dennis
0: got north cut he did he his, <laughs> his fantasy numbers that year were, were probably not going to win us any games because he finished with let's see I'm, I'm 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 on football reference right now um so he had he had 62 catches 729 yards and two touchdowns that is that is a that is a fantasy football killer right there is what that is <laughs> that is not a that's a guy who's going to You know, he's going to keep teasing you every week with like four catches for 48 yards. And you're like, "Ah, I think the breakout's coming. The breakout's coming. And it never does. He never scores. He never does anything like that.
1: And then we should say to bring it back to Addison, we should say that the talent typically wins out. I remember when Jamar Chase was a rookie in in Cincinnati, and I think Joe Burrow hadn't been drafted the year prior. And so Cincinnati wasn't like a darling at this point. Um, And the, the reports out of camp were like, oh, my gosh, Jamar Chase is dropping everything. He's having such a bad camp. Can't do this or that, and then he ended up having an, an incredible rookie year because yeah. the talent, the talent wins out. The guys who were really good usually find a way to to click. Um yeah. and and so when, with Addison, even if he's not a uh, let's say like it's a slow build and he's not a week one starter, this guy could be everything they thought by November or something.
0: Yeah, and that was they went to, they go to the Super Bowl that year and did they play they played the Vikings that year I believe and didn't didn't chase end up torching our friend that's uh, right yes. Breland. yes it was early it was like week yeah. one it was yeah it was it was the yeah, it was I, you're right it was the game they lost in overtime when when dalvin cook fumbled more on him in a minute but yeah
1: <laughs> that's right yep that would that would have been the year i can't remember maybe that was the year they went to the super bowl i think it I was
0: remember. yeah i think it was because i think it was chase's rookie year and burrow's second year but he had missed that whole rookie year with the injury so but long story short there's there's definitely stuff to sort out. I want to move over to defense soon, but let's talk running back just for a second too because I think we're presuming that Alexander Madison is going to get a lot of carries this season and if they don't do anything else, that seems to be the case. He was on the show a few weeks ago. I I enjoyed talking to him about kind of his opportunity, but I don't think we can entirely close the door on an addition at running back. And also, I think what's also interesting is like, what's the depth look like behind Madison going into camp. Yeah. Wes Phillips,
1: um, the offensive coordinator for the Vikings at a good line in the spring, when he was just asked, Hey, is Ty Chandler, which was their fifth round pick from last year out of UNC. Um, Somebody had asked, Hey, is Ty Chandler going to be ready for a bigger role? And this was before they cut Dalvin. Cook. Right. And Wes Phillips goes, well, he's going to have to be, yeah. you know, and just, <laughs> Telegraph the entire thing. And look, that, that, if you play armchair psychologist and look even deeper into that quote, like, that also means like the coaches do not know, like again, they have not played real padded football yet this year. So all they've got is last year with Ty Chandler, when he had a good preseason, he had a good training camp, and then he broke his thumb and had a really limited year for them and didn't do a whole lot. So they like what they saw this spring out of him in terms of the, the the playbook retention and doing the, you know, on air stuff that they do against nobody. Yeah. But we'll see, they're going to get into training camp with, Ty Chandler, Kenny Wongwu, uh, Dwayne McBride, who they drafted in the seventh round this year, they're going to get into camp with those guys, and that is going to be one of the biggest questions: Do we have enough in the backfield behind Alexander Madison? Because if Madison goes down, yeah. all your dreams of a better running game seem to evaporate. Unless Ty Chandler is just some un you know uh, uncovered gem here, so I, I think I don't know if they've got enough. And I don't think they do either. And it wouldn't shock me that if they get into camp a week or two and all of a sudden they're calling up Kareem Hunt, they're calling up Leonard Fournette, they're calling up veteran running backs to come in and just see what else is out there. And maybe we got to sign one of these guys, because if the, the bad running back market um, is favorable for anybody, it's for teams that might be looking for um, some affordable options
0: yeah well and so, like we were talking about before i started recording like the the top running backs in the league are barely getting paid they had a zoom call to talk about how mad they are about how they're not getting paid like you're right it's it's like i hate to talk about it in that way but you're right if, if we're talking about market forces you could if you were the vikings you, you might find a running back who thought they were going to get a lot more money who is then willing to settle on a, a one-year deal and the potential for a significant amount of playing time and i don't think we can entirely, you know, it's not a 0% chance that they would even bring back Dalvin Cook, right? Yeah, it would just take
1: a big change of heart from Dalvin because how that went down is the Vikings wanted to keep him on a reduced deal on a pay cut. He balked at it for the longest time, so they held on to him until June trying to trade him, trying to get anything for him. The way they got two late round pick swaps for Zadarius Smith, they were looking for peanuts and no one was offering. That for Dalvin, and Dalvin's still a free agent here yeah. a month after getting cut, and reportedly he's asking for ten plus million dollars. Still, he was set to do I think or set to make, I think like eleven or twelve over yeah. his previous Vikings deal. So he's still looking for double digit millions, and if he comes down on that number to where the Vikings offer was, which I'm not sure where it was at, but let's say it was six, seven, eight million. Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if he comes down to that and says, you know what. But also, there's a few factors at play. There's the hurt feelings of, you guys don't want me, so I'm going to go get my money somewhere else. And then his tail would have to be between his legs to come back. And then two, he's taking his friend Alexander Madison's chance at the job. I don't discount that in the personal realm of things that matter. I I, Look, everybody's going to go get theirs. And if this is the only option for Dalvin Cook is to come back, he'd probably do it. But I think he's probably looking for any money and any role elsewhere because Alexander Madison's admitted that when he signed in March, that two year, $7 million deal, he knew he was going to be the lead back because at that point, Dalvin had balked for a month at taking a pay cut. So it would, it would take a lot, but I guess you can't totally close the door on it because in this league, you never know.
0: Yeah. And there's also some off field stuff that emerged on Dalvin. Last week it was well that could complement or com- not complement could complicate his market here and elsewhere. Um, by the way, Sage Rosenfels thought he was going to be the starting quarterback in 2009 and ended up not being the starting quarterback when they signed Brett Favre at the end of training camp. So things change quickly in this league, and feelings only last so long. If you think you can improve your team, you will go do it. Um, the, the the most interesting positional battles, though, probably still. Andrew, are on the defensive side of the ball where there's just a host of unknowns if we're talking about really any level of the defense, but especially the secondary, right? Like corner, we don't, we've got very little idea of what the depth chart will ultimately look like after camp is done. We just know that Brian Flores is good at coaching defensive backs and will probably make use of a lot of different looks and packages to try to get this as good as it can be with a lot of unknowns. Yeah, we do know that
1: Byron Murphy, the guy they signed, uh, the veteran from the Cardinals, they signed for two years and I think it was 17 or 18 million dollars base value. That's going to be the guy that is going to start for them on the outside. And then in nickel situations, when they bring on three corners or five defensive backs, however, that comes together. He will move inside and take Chandon Sullivan's spot as that slot corner. That was a priority because of how bad they. Were. I mean, they were bad all over, but they were especially bad covering in the slot last year. Yeah. So that's going to help them there. The rest of it, in terms of what other corners are going to have roles, is totally up for grabs. Um, in the spring, it was a Caleb Evans getting most of those starting reps as the purely outside corner, starting opposite Byron Murphy, and then when they went nickel. They were bringing on three safeties most of the time and finding ways to mix those guys in and then keeping Byron Murphy on the outside. I don't think that's what's going to happen come week one. I think they're going to want Byron Murphy playing his role on the inside. That means they need two corners to step up. Is that Jawan Williams, who was a former Patriots special teamer and second-round pick who signed a deal with the Vikings, is that going to be um, Andrew Booth Jr., the second-round pick out of Clemson last year? a Caleb Evans is probably going to be one of those guys. Um, They also brought in Makai Blackman, third round pick out of USC. He's another option for them. So they've got a lot of unproven guys. And to illustrate that with a very simple number, um, Byron Murphy is the only corner on the Vikings roster with an interception in the NFL. Are you
0: kidding me? No. Yeah, it's true. Wow. Wow. That's a, That is uh, it was very uh, frozen too into the unknown right there. Uh, wow. I did not realize, I did not realize that. Sorry. I just showed how many young kids I have with that reference, but it is, uh, that is, that is a lot of uh, a lot of things to, to consider. And I don't think they're, I don't think the, I don't think the defensive line or linebacker is really set either. Like we don't know if Brian Osamo is an every down player yet. We don't, again, the Daniel Hunter thing is, is unresolved. The interior of the line, they lost Dalvin Tomlinson, so we don't know exactly how that's gonna look. I mean, Harrison Phillips is there. I think they've got some they got some options, but man, there's just there's so many, so many unknowns on this defense. And we, we've talked about that and how their biggest offseason addition was probably Brian Flores, and they're asking him to do a lot.
1: Yeah, they really are. Um, and, and how they're gonna stop the run after not being that great yeah. of a run defense with Eric Hendricks and Dalvin Tomlinson is going to be interesting because the two interior defenders who are going to play the most are Harrison Phillips, who who was brought over last year from Buffalo and Dean Lowry, the longtime Packers interior defender is now going to be a starter for the Vikings here. And that's going to be a budget option and they've done budget options before and it hasn't really worked out. Chandon Sullivan was a budget option last year. Um, really all their corners were <laughs> at last year, right? Uh, at some point. Um, and so Dean Lowry is going to be a big question mark of, is that veteran stepping in going to be at all half of what Dalvin Tomlinson was? And then you've just got a bunch of guys they already had. It's Jonathan Bullard. It's Kairi's Tonga. It's uh, James Lynch. It's Asese Otomewu from the Gophers uh, draft pick from last year. Esese, I should say. Um, so they've got just a bunch of guys that you got to figure out who's going to step up, who's going to emerge as this name where you're, you're looking up at training camp and Oh, they're making plays. Cause they need, they need that. They can't have a quiet training camp just saying, Oh, these guys will figure it out. Uh, cause we have no idea who they are right now in terms of NFL caliber. And then behind them, you're asking Brian Osamoa to step up and replace Eric Kendricks. And we have no idea if Osomoa is a solid three down player in the NFL. He had some moments last year. I believe he had three games over 20 snaps on defense. That's his experience. And part of the issue with the previous defensive coaching staff under Donatel was that they weren't playing some of these younger, unproven guys. They played Osamoa when they had the division yeah. locked up in December. Playoff game comes. He's nowhere to be found. A lot of guys were upset behind the scenes that they weren't getting those playing times and those reps. So that, that limited his exposure. And that makes the question mark now that much bigger of, hey, can this kid step into training camp, earn that role? Or is Troy Reeder, who was a veteran linebacker from the Rams, he was on the Super Bowl team with Kevin O'Connell, is that guy going to be somebody who can sneak in and take some first, second down reps off of Osamoa if Osamoa is more of a a passing down guy? Because this is still a 220, 230 pound, really undersized linebacker. Uh, that they drafted a uh, really former college safety that they drafted to try and kind of um, fit the NFL's passing ways, um, but replacing Eric Kendricks, yeah. like we talked about with Addison and, and Adam Thielen, uh, it's it's no short order.
0: No, it's not, and it's I don't I just I can imagine the narrative of this season changing a little bit as time goes on to be more rebuild than competitive rebuild. I don't know. I just I'm I'm interested to see how they frame this year eventually i mean i think the offense will still the offense still should be very good provided that they get the production from the passing game that they expect and that jordan addison is at least 80 to 90 percent of what they think he is um but you know it's it's still a lot of unproven and it's still a lot of hey they were 13 and 4 last year but 11 and 0 in one score games they're not going to do that again it's it's it's, it makes this year interesting um and it makes probably camp more interesting than it than it uh, than it would be Otherwise, but I just don't know what the narrative to emerge from this season will be ultimately.
1: Yeah, it'll it'll be maybe they have to win every game fifty to forty. Uh, yeah, I think Brian Flores has been everywhere he's been. He's they've had good solid defenses. Miami it, it took a little bit that first year to to get people going, but I and that might be the same uh, here in Minnesota, but. I just don't see how they're going to put together this kind of cast of unknowns on defense, even with Daniel, if they kept yeah. Daniel Hunter and Marcus Davenport on the edges. It's going to take a master class of coaching uh, and development to to get that defense to a point where the offense only needs to score 25 to win as opposed to, 30, to 35.
0: <laughs> only 25. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about this a lot more soon on Access Vikings as we get even a little bit closer to those padded practices. Um, Andrew Kramer, appreciate it. As always, enjoy your time out in Egan this week, and we will see you soon. Will do, Mike. Thanks. Good stuff from Andrew Kramer, as always. A couple of postscripts to our conversation. He texted me not long after we, after we finished recording on Monday and said, you know, I forgot to mention Patrick Jones II when we we're talking about edge rushers. I did too. I don't know why he escaped me when we were talking about edge rushers but he is certainly in that mix and the Vikings also released a uh, a news release on Monday with a lot of transactions and one of those players we had mentioned Andre Carter um, is on the physically unable to perform list so now that uh, that that you know that rookie is out of the mix at least for now so a couple of edge rushing clerical uh, distinctions to make post script from my conversation with Andrew and another postscript, let's throw this one in the cooler to finish off today's show. Jordan Addison, who we talked about at the beginning of the segment, who we talked about with Roycey on Monday, 140 miles an hour, um, on I-94 at 3 a.m., just a few days ago. Um, we learned on Monday, later Monday, that the reason, the reason he gave state troopers who pulled him over for the excess speed, 85 miles and over, 85 miles an hour over the speed limit, He said it was a dog emergency at his house a dog emergency so if you're scoring at home dog emergency i have no reason to doubt him or not believe him in this case but i do imagine that dog emergency might enter our lexicon as a a reasonable doubt of uh, of what really happened right alongside knuckle push-ups and other things if you are a Kevin Love, and Timberwolves Enthusiasts. That'll do it for today. Good stuff coming up tomorrow with Lavelle E. Neal, the third columnist from the Star Trek News, so stick around for that. Until then, enjoy the rest of your hot and steamy Tuesday. Back at it again tomorrow.